We're going to continue on in our study here through the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, last time we met, which was a couple weeks ago now, uh, we were on Lord's Day 25. Didn't quite finish up everything in there. Uh, so we'll, do, we'll finish that up. Just a couple more things to say. Uh, and then we will move on to... Lord's Day 26, which in my notes I have labeled as Lord's Day 25, so let me change that before I confuse myself anymore. All right, well, let's... um, Let's remind ourselves what we had talked about for Lord's Day 25 uh, two weeks ago. If you open up your Psalter hymnal to page 882, you'll see Lord's Day 25 listed there, questions 65 through 67. Uh, This section, like I indicated last time, uh, begins the discussion of the sacraments and questions regarding the sacraments Um, that first Lord's Day, Lord's Day 25, talking more generally about sacraments, defining what a sacrament is, determining for us, telling us what the sacraments are, which which are the sacraments. Uh, And then once we go into Lord's Day 26 and 27, uh, we'll talk about baptism there, and then from there on we'll start talking about Uh, the Lord's Supper. So let's talk for a second about um, sacraments old and new. And this is a good transition because as uh, Pastor Booth did the Lord's Supper this morning, he showed the continuity between two sacraments, a sacrament in the old covenant order and a sacrament in the new covenant. What was that old covenant Old Testament sacrament. The Passover, right? So we had the Passover in the Old Covenant, which was a sacrament. And we'll talk about the definition of a sacrament again, so we're not uh, missing anything. Um, Which is then altered, changed, uh, really given its fullness in the full revelation of Christ the Savior, who uh, was foresignified in the Passover already, right? The Passover is about Jesus. It was always about Jesus, but in types and shadows. The New Testament sacrament is the Lord's Supper, wherein we see the fullness of Jesus' accomplished redemption, His person and work in that particular sacrament. Okay? So we have... We've counted now one sacrament. Now there's another one, and we can uh, speak about the Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrament, and the New Covenant sacrament. Uh, What might be the Old Testament other sacrament that would correspond to the new? Circumcision. Circumcision, right? Genesis 17, 11. The Lord says to Abraham... You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so that becomes the the covenantal sign, the sacrament of uh, 
being God's people, right? And that, of course, corresponds as we move to the New Testament in the fullness of Jesus um, to the sacrament of baptism. Now, this may be a, an easy question. Well, then, how many sacraments are there? Because <laughs> the church has, has answered that question in a, in a couple different ways. How many sacraments do we acknowledge as Reformed Orthodox Presbyterians? Two, right? Baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? Now, how many do Roman Catholics acknowledge? Seven. Can anyone name all seven? There's no prize, but if I had a prize, I'd give it to you. What do we think? Matrimony. Baptism, penance, matrimony, confirmation. Um, Holy orders. Yep. The dead. Last rites. Last rites, anointing the sick. Yeah, okay. So there's seven. Right there. Why don't we just make up sacraments? Why do we have two? Why does Rome have seven? And I mean, I understand. There's a lot of complicating things in history that have led us to this point. But what is it that makes a sacrament a sacrament? Well, let's think about what I'll bring in another catechism. I'll bring in our our catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism 92, with uh, the question, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is an holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question 67, we have uh, there indicated that a sacrament must be instituted by God. I mean, this relates in some ways to what we talk about as the regulative principle, right? We're not going to worship God in any other way than how he has told us that he should be worshipped. In the same way, we're not going to have sacraments, have these sensible signs, uh, unless they've been instituted by Christ. And that's how Westminster Shorter Catechism 92 uh, speaks about it, right? Sensible signs that were instituted by Christ. Yeah? Um, Could you argue that the Roman church understands the word sacrament? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And that's... Yeah. Because, of course, holy orders is a different thing, and it doesn't apply to everyone. And and so I think that... Yes, right. I don't want to say they're just using the word differently, but that's a significant difference. There's a significant difference there. So we need to stay in our lane as we're talking about sacraments with defining a sacrament to be as Heidelberg uh, defines it, which would be how Scripture defines it, how Westminster defines it, right? Sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Now it has to be instituted by Christ. In the scriptures are those two sacraments that we just mentioned, baptism and the Lord's Supper, instituted directly by Christ. 
I should hear, yes, of course, <laughs> right? Any scripture proofs for that, say for baptism? Matthew 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah. So does that mean when John was baptizing, he was not, that was not a sacrament? We'll talk about that. Let's wait, let's wait, and we'll talk about the specifics of baptism probably actually next week for that particular question. All right, so I hate to derail your thoughts. <laughs> All right. What about the Lord's Supper? Any... Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, so we have, you know, Jesus with uh, saying that in Matthew 26. Uh, we have Paul, right? In 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, right? He received it from the Lord and therefore delivers it to us that we would continue to do that thing which Christ commanded, which is... Uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Right? Paul says, for, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And then he goes on there. Any questions about... Yes. So, I, I get that like, things like penance and last rites are not even really mentioned in Scripture as a His relationship with us, and they are—they you know, are manifestations of our relationship with God in some way. Right. So, right, because marriage, Paul tells us in Ephesians five, is a picture of union with Jesus. Right. That's what marriage shows forth in the very fact that marriage was created. It reveals a mystery, which is Christ and His Church. Right. And then what was the other one that you said? Uh, Ordin ordination. ordination Something like ordination. Yeah. People being set apart, laid, hands laid on them for the sake of that particular work. Yeah. So I think if we, if we think about what a sacrament is, and I think that as we go on to Lord's Day 26, we're going to see those things specified more clearly uh, for us as we, as we try to understand and the nature of sacraments, and particularly as we get into baptism. So hold that for one second, because I think that we'll, we'll get there in our discussion. All right, let's look at Lord's Day 26. Lord's Day 26, 883. And so let's talk, well, let's uh, read these together. Questions 69 through 71. I'll ask the question, then you can respond with the answer. How does holy baptism remind and assure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross 
benefits you personally. with Christ's blood and spirit. To be washed with Christ's blood means that God, by grace, has forgiven our sins because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with Christ's spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed and sanctified us to be members of Christ so that more and more Christ promise that we are washed with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism. In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's remember again how the Catechism, Heidelberg in particular, defined a sacrament. Look at question 66. Sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's gospel promise. He grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. So part of the reason is that we would understand more clearly the promise of the gospel. What, do they, what, is the, what does the catechism say is the promise of the gospel that we are to understand more clearly. Right. The forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Christ. And also to seal that promise. Anybody know what is meant by sealing that promise? Because sometimes we, we don't quite get at how the sacrament, particularly baptism, can be a seal. Marissa, yeah. There's a yeah, there's a there's a confirmation of the sign. Okay, um, I, I think uh, larger catechisms one seventy seven helps us here, um, and, and Alan Strange in particularly helpfully distinguishes us that sign and the seal. Uh, Westminster Larger Catechism says, uh, and this is Alan Strange quoting here, that baptism 
is a sign and seal of our regeneration and engrafting into Christ, and that even to infants. Thus, baptism is not just an outward sign of what must happen to us inwardly if we are to know and to love God truly. The washing of water of the water of the word applied by the Holy Spirit in regeneration. It is also a seal to us of God's promise to be our God and to make us his both now and forever. In other words, baptism not only pictures God's grace to us, right? That's what we see in baptism. That's the sign, right? So baptism not only pictures God's grace to us, but also is our basis for claiming the promise of salvation. What is our basis for claiming the promise? Right? The Holy Spirit both sealing us and sealing the promise to us. Right? So that baptism not only offers a picture, right? it's not just a picture of our redemption in Jesus, but also gives us claim to what is pictured. So that we are assured that his grace belongs to us. Does that make any sense whatsoever? We're trying to distinguish the sign and the seal. John Calvin says, so far as Christ remains outside of us, he is no use to us. If Jesus just died 2,000 years ago, unless that redemption is applied to us, it is of no use. Right? What use is Jesus to someone who is unregenerate? No use. But in baptism, we have the sign, right, signifying the washing of our sins with the blood of Jesus, and we have the seal, which is in baptism, when we are baptized, we have claim then to the promise Assuredly, as the Spirit comes and seals us in regenerating us. See how those things work together? Yeah. Michelle. Um, if I have a question that's specifically about parents being for their children for infant baptism, should we wait on that? Sure, let's wait because next week in particular we'll deal with that question. Yeah, Ben. I was wondering, how does the seal... Why the breakers? In what sense is baptism? Because it's still a sign. Right. It's a sign of the breakers, but how is it a seal? It's like a rejected promises. Yeah, I think it functions as, as a sign and seal of covenant curse. Right? It functions in that opposite direction. Just the same way that circumcision did. And regardless, and this always comes up, the question of, well, infant baptism, credo baptism, you know, you have the same issue. You have, you will always have people who are baptized who are not regenerate. That, 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 that promise, what is signified and sealed in that is not applied to them in particular, Right? So saying, so getting away from baptizing infants doesn't really get you out of that situation. 
When, when I was young, it was explained to me that, now, I mean, certainly open for comments on that, but um, that like a wax seal, the Holy Spirit is, is pressing the seal into us with his active power. And so it, it shapes it differently than mm -hmm. it was originally. So if you take the, it, it's not just a sign, you can see that there is an imprint on this thing, but it has physically changed that person um, by the efficacious work of the spirit in that sacrament. Yeah. So if, but, but it, is, it is a sign and a seal at the same time. So if the seal is broken, uh, so if you don't believe, it, it, it physically alters that seal, and like you said, there is, you know, typically if you're looking at a seal and it's coming from someone with authority, then you have, and you break that seal outside of being the one in covenant, you're breaking the covenant, you have the same consequences of opening a letter you weren't supposed to open, which is you're held accountable for that and will be judged for breaking yeah. the seal. Um, you made me think of something. Sorry, I was, <laughs> I was trying to look back. Because uh, if we go back to question 67, uh, we're reminded that the Holy Spirit in the sacraments teaches us the gospel and confirms them to us. Right? The, the promises of the gospel are being pressed upon us that we would be, have assurance and, and comfort in the gospel promises that are proclaimed in the word. And so in the visible word, they're, they're the same promises being proclaimed to us. And whether you believe or not believe, that promise is confirmed on you, which is why it's yeah. very bad to be a covenant child who walks away because you have been confirmed. The truth has been confirmed to you. And if you take the sacrament, especially regularly, and are actively confirming those promises on you, and you break that covenant, you are held more accountable. And that helps us, right, to interpret some other passages, right, like, like the warning passages in Hebrews when we start talking, or in, in, in 1 John, about for those who have once been enlightened, for those who have been partakers, because there's, a, there's a, an actual partaking that's taking place when people are part of God's covenant community and have those promises placed upon them, right? Uh, just like the children of believers are holy, Right? First Corinthians seven. Any other yeah. We were talking about the enormous practical benefits of the sealing doctrine. Uh, in twenty thirteen I went with a group of teenagers from this church to back you know, for the whole week we were ministering to English English Catholic kids. Most of the kids came from Roman Catholic backgrounds. And they figured, oh yeah, Jesus Christ died for our sins. How can I say he died for everybody? It's like it's 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 past history. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But it's like it only applies to you, it only matters to you, you belong to him. Sealing in ancient times was ownership. 
Mm -hmm. the stamp of Christ. So we had to explain to them that that when you truly believe and receive Christ, you know, and that's for most people that's you know, when you're in the baptism is a sign of that. You know, that coming to Christ, it's not just, oh yeah, this is ancient history and it applies to everybody. Oh no, no. You need to embrace Christ in faith. Very proud. And that, that shows, again, like we were talking last time, about the directedness of the sacrament, right? The sacrament isn't directed from me to God. It's from God to us, right? So even there, as you talk about believers being baptized, you're still seeing the right directedness of it, right? This is God's promise on me. It doesn't apply to you at all. Yeah, right, right. Any other particular questions here? There are still a lot of Reformed Christians that don't believe that it's a seal. Yeah, yeah. That it just, it's just, it's just that sign there. Um, I don't know if this will be all that helpful. Hopefully, it's a little complicated. Uh, just this quote from John Murray here. He says, uh, and this goes along with the, the sealing that we're talking about. John Murray says, God not only brings men and women into union with Christ as the embodiment of covenant grace at the zenith of its realization. He not only gives exceeding great and precious promises that are yea and amen in Christ, but he seals this union and confirms these promises by an ordinance that portrays to our senses the certainty of his grace. I think that helps us get to the ceiling that we're talking about. There's a certainty of it. This Bible verse, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And think of those terrifying words at the end of the Sermon on the Mark. I'm not. Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Because yeah. it was just all words that yeah. Our yeah. Now, if we if we talk about the seal in terms of uh, the what is happening spiritually in our regeneration, right? We're, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians one, right? What does the what does the Spirit as seal do for our redemption. It's a guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee that Christ is ours and we are His. See, the Spirit applies to us what Christ has accomplished so that to have the sealing of the Spirit means that the gospel promise is not merely out there to be believed, but that God applies that promise to us according to his work in his faithfulness. And now I want to get at the, the spiritual, what, what's lying behind uh, particularly the sacrament of baptism. What are the spiritual promises being signified in baptism? First we see in the catechism, it talks about the fact that, that God by grace forgives our sins on account of Christ. Some of the proof texts there to think about. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Or Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does the blood of Abel speak? Yeah. It, it speaks to Cain that he's condemned. Right? That's not, those aren't good words to hear. Right? Genesis 4.10 uh, God says to Cain, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Abel's blood speaks condemnation. But Christ's blood, which is signified in baptism, right? Christ's blood is forgiveness and salvation. That's what it speaks so that Hebrews 10.22 can say, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So spiritual promise, we see that God by His grace forgives our sins on account of Christ. And we also see that to be washed with Christ's Spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed and sanctified. So two things that we see. Think about 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And were, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Or Colossians 2, 11 to 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now think of the old covenant sign and think of the new covenant sign, the sacraments here as we're thinking about this. In him you, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now in that passage there, it says you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. And it says, by the circumcision of Christ. By the circumcision of Christ. What does that mean? Circumcision of Christ. Right, this is a genitive. What is, what, is, what is that genitive saying? What is it telling us? Is it Christ's circumcision? Is it the circumcision that's given by Christ? Yeah. That he was cut off. And it was also his blood. That may be it. It may be that it's Christ himself, his own circumcision being cut off. Ray, did you have another suggestion? And then just a shed of blood. Pastor Booth, what do you think? What is the what is the function of the genitive? Christ being cut off on the cross. Christ being cut off on the cross. All right. 
let's see here. Let's look at Romans 6, 3, and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, there, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So does that help us there? I think that helps us. Right? That helps us to see that it is Christ who's cut off while at the same time speaking of our union with him. There, there's, there's two things going on there, right? Christ is cut off, redemption accomplished, and us being united to him by his spirit, right? Those two things go hand in hand. Baptism is signifying for us that we're forgiven by God's grace on account of Christ and that we are washed with Christ's spirit. We are renewed and we are sanctified. All right, let's look at question 71 real quick. And maybe I'll go in a different direction that, than you think I might go, but we'll see. Where does, Christ, where does Christ promise that we are washed with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? We already talked about the institution there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere we see in Mark... Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated when Scripture calls baptism. Titus 3, 5, the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Acts twenty two sixteen. Last time we talked about... Uh, this sacramental union between the sign and the th thing signified. That in places like First Peter, Peter says, this baptism which now saves you. There's some question, well, what do you mean baptism saves me? Right? So let's think about the efficacy here in a minute, and we'll talk about this more next week too. But Westminster Confession of Faith 28.6 puts it this way. The efficacy of baptism is not tied to the moment of time wherein it is administered. Yet, notwithstanding, by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promised is not only offered, right, it's not merely a sign offering it, but really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Spirit to such, whether of age or infants, as that grace belongeth unto according to the counsel of God's own will in his appointed time. Right? That's always a question. Is Well, how can baptism be administered here, but the grace, the grace that is offered isn't actually exhibited and conferred until here? The Confession of Faith seeks to answer that uh, by showing the connection there 
between the thing and the thing signified. And again, Alan Strange is helpful here uh, in talking about this particular section. He says, our baptism is a sign and seal to us that we are no longer our own but belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we receive the testimony of our baptism in faith. We believe that for which our baptism stands. It is not a bare sign, but is a seal, a warranty of the grace that has brought us safe thus far and surely will lead us home. Any questions as we end this particular week? And any questions that we want to talk about for next week that are on your mind that you think we want to make sure that we cover? Because there's always a lot of questions about baptism. Always. (laughs) Yeah. So the infant baptism. Yeah. Yeah, so that would that would be a question that a session would 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 uh, work with and determine based upon yeah the child's age and yes a child who is adopted is part of the family and so yeah they would they could receive that sign um, but again that would be that'd be something worked out in pastoral. Uh, working with people to know particularly. So you're saying that it's not always um, a practice that should be done just because... The- it it depends. It, I, I would say, personally, I would say it would depend on their age. There, there's, you know, yeah. What was your question? It was regarding baptism. Uh, would, would a child who was adopted into a family at an older age uh, be able to receive the sign of baptism. David, go ahead. There are diversity of views in the Reformed world. I would just throw out that uh, having thought about this in the past, I would baptize any person that's a member of the family, living in the family, who was not actively objecting to being baptized. That is, I don't need the child, even if they're 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, yeah. to say, I want to get baptized. All that's necessary is if they're not saying, I, I don't, don't. <laughs> Yeah, in there you see a distinction between who would be recipients of baptism versus who would be recipients of making a profession of faith and then being able to partake of the Lord's Supper. Any other questions? Look, look, we're only three minutes late. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace that has been uh, sealed to us by your Spirit. As you have given us uh, the faith to believe, as you have by your spirit applied Christ to us and continue to apply Christ to us, 
in our sanctification. Oh Lord, may we take comfort even as we think upon our own baptism, recognizing uh, that what was the promise that was placed upon us is in fact a guarantee that we have claim to Jesus by faith and that we are his. Oh Lord, would you uh, indeed comfort our hearts? Would you give us greater assurance in your love? Oh Lord, and would you grant us greater clarity uh, in our thinking about these things? And may that lead us then, Lord, uh, to worship you all the more for your grace and your goodness. In Christ's name, amen.